everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Nakia Porter, who along with her attorney, Yasin Al-Madini, uh, are um, here on a very disturbing police incident that happened in Solano County. Uh, and Nakia was involved in a serious police use of force case where uh, she was pulled over having uh, tried to change drivers uh, with her family in the car, her father in the car, uh, and it turned into a very ugly incident. Um, so welcome to our show, and um Hopefully one of you can uh, give kind of the basic background of what happened. So um, I, can, I can start with that. Um, and, and then I'll have Nikia, you know, she can jump in and, and describe to you more of the personal experience. But I can kind of lay the groundwork. Um, so one of the things that, that's very clear and, and you have protections under California law and it's actually in the penal code. It's, it's in penal code 853.5, uh, which is that if law enforcement stops you for an infraction, they are not allowed to take you into custody unless you refuse to present your ID or you refuse to sign the ticket or you have some sort of a warrant out for your arrest. And so what happened here is Nakia and her father with three kids in the car, three, four, and six, were doing the responsible thing. They, uh, Nakia had, had, had gotten tired. They were about midway back home from Oakland. And so they pulled over off the freeway to change drivers as safely as possible. They pulled onto a side road that had no traffic and was not a thoroughfare, and they proceeded to stop and change drivers. That's when these officers rolled up to them. And even when they rolled up, you can see in the tape, Nakia is trying to explain to the officers that she is simply switching seats with her father. One of the officers actually, the the first officer that approaches her, just gives her permission. It's like, okay, yeah, just go in the car. Nakia acknowledges And then the male officer comes in very, very aggressively and starts demanding for her to get back in the car. She tries to explain, yeah, there are kids in the car. That's exactly what we're doing. We're just switching drivers. And he says again, get back in the car. She says, okay. So she's now going back to the driver's seat like they've 
they've asked her to complete compliance and he decides that he's going to take her into custody anyway. And he does not have a right. They do not have a right to do that. They proceeded to, to take her into custody, drag her out of the view of the camera and then beat her out of consciousness. And, and the whole thing is on video and her father and her, her kids are there um, watching this horrific incident. And after that, they ended up taking her father into custody, putting him in, in the back of a car, even though he was completely compliant. You imagine how hard it must be for a father to have to watch his daughter get unjustifiably beat up like this. How hard it must have been on him to go through that. So they now they, they arrest him, put him in the back of a, a car and leave the kids there. These officers walking around with guns drawn, shotguns. Imagine that the state that the kids are in at this point and both of these folks. So they're now assaulting three generations of black folks. All at one time, completely unjustified. And after all of this, they falsely make up a story against her, which their sergeant helped him with, and then try to book her and get her prosecuted. But she wasn't prosecuted. So from a legal perspective, you know, just about every civil rights violation that they could have committed, they did. Do they, so have, that's, the, do they have the right to order her back into the car at the point when they did? They can ask her to go back inside the car. And that's fine if they want her to go back inside the car and wait inside the car. And that's exactly what she was doing. You know, it, two people are outside the car. They're trying to switch. She's telling them, we're switching. We're both trying to get back in the car. They insist that she walk back around and go to the driver's seat. Fine, she's going to do that. She was trying to do that. So, yeah, they can ask her to do that, but, but she was doing it. You know, she was just explaining to them what was going on. There was no reason to put their hands on her. Anyway, yeah. Nakia... I'll, I'll let you go through the more personal story and, you know, I'll address more of the legal questions, but I wanted to give you the legal framework here. Well, let me just ask you, Nakia, what's going through your mind first when, when the uh, sheriff's first approach and then as this incident unfolds? So, David, before I answer your question, I want to frame this in such a way where you can connect with it, right? Your wife's name is Cecilia. Mm -hmm. You have three children of your own, right? Mm -hmm. How old are your children? Uh, my youngest is um, 10. Okay, 10. And then your, old, your other two? Uh, my oldest is 18, but I have a 12-year-old daughter too. Awesome. So mine, right, as Yasin mentioned, at the time, my youngest, my son, was almost two. He wasn't in the car, but my other, my niece, who was three, my middle daughter, four, and my oldest daughter, six, right? So now you have these youth, and I'm trying to switch drivers with my dad. As you know, I'm sure with you riding with your wife, you've had times where it's like, hey, honey, <laughs> tired, let's switch, let's do this, because that's the best thing for all of us, right? And so that's exactly what we're doing. So to get to your question about them approaching us and asking us these questions, it's very confusing because I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary, right? I'm tired. We're getting off the road, getting safely off the road to switch drivers. And I'm now being approached 
with questions about, I mean, not questions, but demands to get back in the car. And I'm following all of those things. I'm complying with every request that's being made. And then they start to escalate. So you ask me, how do I feel? Very confused. And I'm trying to ask questions to clarify, right? Communication is very important. I value that very much so. And the communication was, was not clear, which left me in a very confused and scared state because now I'm trying to simply switch drivers and there's a certain level of escalation happening. So what do I do, right? And so to answer your question, very confused and scared for my life at this point in time. And, and as, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I wanna, I wanna sort of add in there, as you watch the video, you will see that that Nikki and her father, they go, um, you know, do their three-point turn and they've stopped already. Yep. You can actually notice, you can see the details. If you watch it, you can see when a car goes from drive to park, right? Yep. You can see the reverse lights come on for a split second and they go off. You can see that happen. You can see her switching gears to park. You can see the doors opening. And an officer at that point, just comes up sort of to the side of the car with the lights. In a normal, you know, and they're, they're saying it's a traffic stop. There's no traffic stop. These right. folks were already stopped. You just came there. They have no idea why they're being stopped, right? They, they, or or why, why you're there. Like they weren't even stopped. They right. don't even have any idea why you're there. They're starting to, to pepper her with questions. And she is very calmly, very clearly explaining to them what's happening and following their commands. It's, it's very clear. So this is, you'll see this in, in you, if you go through the video step-by-step, step, you're gonna see how this unfolds. And this, this male deputy decided that, you know what? He, he was gonna put hands on her and violate her civil rights. And his partner who was there decided she was gonna help him, you yeah. know? You can see it unfold in front of your eyes. And as I watch it, it makes me cringe as I know what's coming. Do you get a sense of why they responded as they did? One, and I'll take you back to a little bit of history, right? So you heard of the three-fifths compromise, yes? Where Blacks those of African descent were treated less than human, right? And when you treat something less than human, you can do just about anything to it because it doesn't have a soul. It doesn't live, right? It's not the same as those that are human, those that have that privilege, right? And so I was faced with that experience where I was looked at because of the color of my skin, right? That I was less than human. Right, and I bring that back to why I talk about your wife and your children. There's no type of compassion of, oh, there are children in the car, which I articulated multiple times, right? For the safety of my children, for the safety of my father, right? To make sure that we're taken care of. And as peace officers, those to be able to actually have justice fell right back into the history lines of treating us less 
than human. And so to have that, that is very terrifying as we sit in 2021, right? George Floyd was just before then, right? Breonna Taylor, others that this is consistently happening to. And a lot of times it goes unseen because we think it's a one-off situation. Here you have, as Yasina said, a perfect model of the model citizen. I've gone to school. I pay my taxes, I follow the rules, I do what I'm supposed to do, I work in the community. And still somehow I find myself in this position of doing everything right and still being treated less than human. So why is it? Because of the color of my skin. And you'd also note that, you know, throughout the encounter, um, her father, who's 63 years old, and, and this deputy, I don't know, 30 at the time, I, I, I can't tell his age, but something like that, keeps calling him young man, reminiscent of the, the slur boy. So this is reminding him of, especially throughout the experience that they were being put through. And the, you know, the, 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 the sergeant who came and helped them cover things up, that sergeant has affiliations with the three percenters who we know their you know, their membership we've seen um, espouses a lot of racist rhetoric. And it's kind of, you know, that's, that's where this is coming from. Yeah. That's where this is coming from. And so, you know, as we, as we get through discovery in this case, I think that, what's going on at the Solano County Sheriff's Office and, and the sort of behavior and the practices that are being condoned are gonna come out. Yeah. And that's, that's really crucial as we paint this picture, right? Not only flat, but really in 3D, right? Because um, there's a book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. She's actually from California and talking about what has happened in the beginning of, of time or even the formation of America and how a lot of Africans were brought over to the States to do work, right? To whether it's sugarcane farms or cotton, right? Or different uh, farming things and techniques and doing that work from sunup to sundown, whipping them, right? These are what I'm talking about my ancestors going through the same experience. And again, here we are in 2021, 2021, and I find myself in a similar experience of being ripped from my children. No one should have to go through that. It's not okay, right? And now we have three generations. Now I speak to you, David, I speak to anyone else as you're watching this. It's not just this one incident. It's happening and it's being covered up, right? When I say covered up, we wanna bring these things to light so we can say, I see life in you. In other cultures, you have namaste. I can see the God in you. I see that in you. So that means I'm gonna treat you with respect. 
I'm gonna treat you with compassion. If we have a disagreement, right? We can work that out because we're civil and we can communicate with each other to share our differences. And I was not given that opportunity. My father was not given that opportunity. My children were not given that opportunity. I was left unable to protect them. Mothers and fathers, aunts, uncles, even friends know what it's like to wanna to protect your child. Think about your child running out into the street and someone is driving really fast. You wanna grab the child, you wanna protect them, you wanna get them back, you wanna make sure that they're safe. And even now people put the little cones where people drive really fast, right? To say, slow down. There's children here. And so this, the, what we're talking about is something that is systemic, something that is ongoing. And this puts a, a staker in a time mark to say enough is enough. There has to be a change, not only to support, right? Those that are in power, but to support those, the voiceless, those that are being mistreated, those that don't have the platforms to be able to speak up for themselves. And because they don't, and they're quote unquote, underrepresented or underserved or minorities, their lives don't matter as much. And I'm here to say everyone, right, has to do their part in saying that this is not how we want to treat each other. Because now you're impacting multiple generations over and over and over again. And what happens is it not only impacts my community, but it impacts our whole families all together. Because if we're hurting, all the other communities are hurting too because we all are interconnected. So, um, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, go ahead. I, I, all I was gonna, all I wanted to add in that is that, you know, this, this whole issue gets very politicized and conflated. And I don't, you know, I think people recognize that you need enforcement of laws, but at the same time, it can't be riddled with abuse of power. There you, you go. know, these folks have been given a certain authority, but that authority is limited by the constitution. That authority is limited by human rights. The authority is limited by basic rights. And I think that we have stopped almost recognizing that, you know, that there is a problem. There needs to be a recognition that there is a problem and we need to do something about that problem yeah. because people are getting hurt. People are dying. Yes. And it's going to continue until the law catches up with what's going on practically. And, you know, that's part of the, the you know, the, 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 that's part of the impetus of, of bringing a lawsuit like this is to address it. And, and thank goodness we live in a system where we can bring a lawsuit to address it. And we are, and I hope that there are changes that Congress makes more changes to the law so that these type of lawsuits have even more power to them. Because when we hold these officers the, the ones that commit the violation, many good officers, right? But there are ones that commit these violations. We hold these officers accountable. We change the practice. Yeah. We let them off the hook despite the violation because 
you know, we're, we're on team officers or we're on team civil rights. That's not how it works. Yeah. We should all be on team civil rights. They should be on team civil rights because they're hired to uphold the law, you know, not break it. And so everybody should be on board with this. One thing I worry about is, and you know, a few weeks ago I had on this uh, show um, the mother and an attorney of uh, somebody who basically, you know, a month or two after George Floyd happened, the same thing happened to this guy. Um, you know, he was having a mental health uh, breakdown. They decided to take him down to the ground. They hold him down, uh, knee to the neck. Uh, they're on his back and he ends up dying. Um, and, you know, I'm like, why aren't police learning from the mistakes of other police? They keep making these same mistakes over and over again. You know, it's an absence of accountability. I'm sorry, Nikki, go ahead, please. No, that's good. Uh, accountability. And then also I, I mentioned that book. Uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome because it talks about the impacts as a whole right and so I'll paint this picture you had times where blacks were being hung right and there were children around there were aunties uncles as if they went out for a celebration standing behind wanting pictures of black people being hung being um you know parts of their body being uh, being castrated and the children are smiling, okay? The children are smiling. So this talks about the being desensitized over generations. So when we talk about how are people still doing this is because there's certain cultures and pockets that are still practicing these type of narratives, right? Why is it that you have to prove my humanity to say that you shouldn't knock me unconscious? Why is it that you have to prove my humanity to figure out that, hey, I can have a conversation with you and just, you know, if it's something about a license plate or something like that, we can have a civil conversation and we can iron that out. That's then going into already preconceived notions about the person that I am because of how I look. Right. And this is why changing of the images, just because I'm black, some of the things would be, oh, that I'm lazy that I cannot speak for myself, right? That I, I, uh, I can take abuse. You can beat me and I, I won't be hurt. There's history of this where the speculum used to do, um, to check for vaginal births, where they did that to a lot of black women and said, oh, they're, they don't feel pain the same as some of us do because of their race. And so this is what we're talking about, this type of the imagery of what it means for a black person to be black and that we can continue to do this behavior or other people of color that we can still do this because they're not human. They're less civil than we are. So how do we stop, right? This narrative is the images that we share, the stories that we share when we see others of uh, other colors, right, that are having struggles or other things like that, how can we help and support to uplift you without having to make you be like us? Because everyone's culture is specific to them and honoring it, right? 
And so I, I stand right here, I say it as a voice of those that have been systemically oppressed and underserved, right? Because a lot of them cannot voice and say, how I'm being treated is not okay. Why do I have to jump to, through so many loops to tell you I'm human just like you? Like I said, right, David, you have a wife, you have children. I have a husband, I have children. I have a mother and a father. I have a grandfather and a grandmother, right? Or I did. I have ancestors that date back just like you do. We may come from different places, right? We have a heart beating. We have blood flowing through our bodies. We have a brain. We have eyes. We have nose. We have mouth. There are a lot of similarities. Until we can start to address the root of these problems that we're talking about, we're going to see these things happen. That means everyone, no matter your position, like you're using your podcast to get the word out, you're using your website to get the messages out, that this is the way we convey and say, we're going to change this narrative. We're going to change and say that, you know what, I respect the people. I want to judge them based on their character, not how they look, right? What is the character that shows up with me? And then I'll be able to go and address it. And we can work together that way. And so that happening again, that's why I want people to know this is not a one-off. Sometimes the stories don't even happen. I have community members that things like this have happened to and they just went silent because they didn't know how to speak up because there was a time where if you spoke up the punishment would be worse and that's the change right that we're making right now you talk about speaking Nikia um you know something sort of occurred to me Sometimes you see, this is not your case, but sometimes you see videos where somebody is talking back to the officers, not, not, not being threatening, just talking back to them, maybe saying something that is insulting, right? And you see officers in that instance, just beat the, you know, living daylights out of the person. That's against the law. You're not allowed to beat somebody up because it hurts your feelings by saying something. It doesn't matter if you're a, a police officer. You don't, you, you don't have that special privilege that they're not allowed to say. The, 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 in just the offensive thing in your case, what you're talking about speaking, and, and, and David, you, you watch it, you, you'll, you'll get this, that she's not even talking back to them. She's not even saying anything insulting. What she's doing is very politely explaining to them what she's doing and trying to comply with the various commands that they're giving her and trying to de-escalate the situation for them, making them feel good. And I think this, these police officers, the way that they reacted, it seems clear that they simply said, how dare you speak in our presence? The arrogance here, the abuse of power has gotten so much here. How dare you just speak? And so we're going to just detain you right now for, for just speaking, trying to just tell us and, and de-escalate the situation. And then they escalated it to the point where they knocked her unconscious in front of her family. Just think about that. Think about the level of abuse of power there. Now, now let me ask you this, because... You know, I read their statement of what happened and they claim 
And granted, I don't see any of this on the video and I've watched the video several times, including frame by frame. Um, you know, they claim uh, that uh, she ignored orders to get back in the video. She resisted the deputies, uh, slapped, uh, slipped her hand out of uh, the cuffs and then struck uh, a deputy in the face. Now, it's hard to see what's going on when everybody's on the ground, but I don't see any of that. Well, yeah, you don't see it because it didn't happen. We are going to watch play by play. I'm going to sit these these deputies down in a deposition. And I'm going to go through it play by play, frame by frame. And I am going to have them admit their lies because they're lying. They, this deputy lied so many times on camera, McCampbell, and so did the other one. Uh, McDowell. They lied so many times and they, they made up such a, 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 a web of lies. It's all recorded. It's all there. So I am going to go through it step by step with them and show it. What are they doing? They basically, because they had knocked her, he, he got that deputy, the, those two deputies, they got so angry. Uh, how dare this black woman speak in their presence at all? Regardless of what she's saying, regardless of the fact that she's de-escalating, how dare she speak in their presence? They felt like beating her up. And that's what they did. And after they knock her out and they don't realize, you know, what kind of damage they've done, they start freaking out and they start making up their stories and they know their buddies are going to cover for them. And that's exactly what was happening. That is the other very insulting part of this story is after they violate her civil rights they continue to do it by fabricating stories against her just to get her prosecuted. It wasn't enough to, 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 to knock her unconscious in front of her family. That wasn't enough. They then took it to the next level, put her in jail. Why? Because, you know, we, we, we gave them the power to do that. We trusted them and they abused it, right? They abused their power at every step of the way here. They did it didn't stick because the video doesn't support it, right? That, that their story is totally false. Yeah, and it's now, you know, as we tell these stories, right? And going through, for those listening, right? And you listening, you hear the story and it, it's sad. Oh yeah, it's sad. I live it daily, right? I live it daily. When I hear a police siren coming back, I'm immediately hit with so much anxiety. So many, so much anxiety. A lot of black people already have that in general and we're not even doing anything wrong. And now I have that excessively because here I am doing everything right, speaking, looking for clarification. And none of that is acknowledged as if, like you said, to be seen and not heard. I'm there, but my voice doesn't matter. I'm here, but they're gonna do whatever it is that they wanna do, which was to take me out of view of the camera so they could do what? The worst fear. These things were just happening. George Floyd just happened. Like you said, the other person it just happened. And you talk about the cuffs, I have no clue. 
whether they accidentally or didn't tighten it correctly, right? Or they did it intentionally, that I don't know. What I do know is they took me out of the view of the camera and beat me up. They punched me in my head multiple times. So much so when all of this started to come back in view, I started feeling as if I just got punched in my head that same day. And I talk through, I go through therapy. So people that you need support, you need healing. There's a book called The Body Keeps Count. Where as early as children going through, which my children went through this, we have no idea of how much it has impacted them. It may not come out until years later because some of them were so young and they don't have words to describe. Mommy was taken away. Mommy did not show up last night. Mommy's home. My children still come and sleep in the bed with me. And I wasn't there. Where was I? In jail, like a criminal for switching drivers for doing the right thing with my father, with my children. My father, my husband who wasn't there because he was traveling with family to visit family. We are family. They broke up and they're tearing apart family. That, that in the society of a society that wants to build, that wants to be harm, harmonic, wants to be in harmony, wants to be peaceful, wants to talk about love, wants to talk about compassion. This did not model compassion. The officers, those in uniform did not model compassion. It was very neglect. It was, they were negligent in their actions not mindful of the impacts of what it is that they were doing. And who has to put the pieces together? I'm trying to put the pieces together for myself, which for black people in our culture is okay. We're dealing with so many stresses, negative images in the media, right? On an ongoing basis, on the job, in corporate spaces, where a lot of us can't even wear our hair naturally because it's offensive or it's threatening, having to deal with that and then still having to go to work. I was afraid I was gonna lose my job. Now I was gonna lose my job because I went to jail. Now I went to jail. For what, how do I explain to people? We didn't have no video, no video that you were able to see David. Thank you for sharing your opinion of what you can see because that's what I've been living with. And then for me to see it brought back so much more that, oh my gosh, they knocked me out. When they first started hitting me, I was like, they're gonna kill me. <laughs> my hands are tied behind my back. I can't do anything. So how do I still end up being the criminal? That's what we have to look at. How do I still end up being the criminal? I'm not. I'm not. That well, and you, you, and you, you weren't charged with anything. I think because the, you know, the DA's office could also very clearly see that there was nothing to charge. 
they were just fabricating a story. Anyone right. can see that watching the video, so. And not, not being charged, but the fact going through the action and the motions, no one should have to go through the motions just to go through the motions. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm saying is that they did, they treated you like a criminal because they put you under arrest. They, they did all of that. They did, they tried their best to make you a criminal, but you're not. And, and the you know, video shows that the DA didn't file charges because they were lying. And it's so yeah. clear. They were like, David, in, 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 in many circumstances, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad the DA did the right thing here, but that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. A lot of times you'll see DAs turn around and, and, and file charges where they shouldn't be filed just to protect the officers. That's why. And, and so that is another abuse that needs to, to be addressed. That, you know, thank goodness it didn't happen here, but it, that happens. One of the first uh, trials I covered um, in 2010, um, these brothers were down uh, by the river in West Sacramento and um, they, they got into uh, a confrontation with the police and the police hit them so many times in the head with uh, a baton that the one guy has had dents in his forehead, like he's walking around with dents. And they end up charging the guys with battery on a police and resisting arrest. And, and like, it went to trial first in 2007. I caught the second one in 2010. And I went to a third trial. The first two hung 11 to one uh, for guilt. And I talked to, uh, after the second trial, I talked to the one guy that hung the jury. And he said, I don't know what those guys are seeing, but uh, I was never going to, uh, uh, you know, convict those guys. I was willing to stay there forever, um, you know, and hold out. Um, and then finally, the third one, uh, they got acquitted on one of the charges and, and the DA uh, decided not to charge him for the fourth time. The cops should have been charged. Uh, the, the guy suffered brain damage. Um, he actually ended up dying uh, last year, uh, like 15 years after the fact. Um, but, you know, here they are. They, they're bringing these minor charges against these brothers uh, who, who they beat the hell out of. Um, it was absolutely appalling. And that was right here in Yolo County. And that's because when, when they do that, then, you know, they help to protect the officers unjustifiably many times. Um, and, you know, there, there's some, somehow this notion that, well, I mean, the person didn't get convicted. But when you get arrested, that in and of itself is very traumatic. You get arrested, you get booked, you get taken down, you're not home, you have to be bailed out. And then when they charge you, the charge itself turns your life upside down. You got to hire an attorney. You have consequences at work that, that, that you may have to face. Even getting arrested, you may have consequences at work. You may get fired. You know, there are a lot, there's a, there's a social stigma associated with it, whether you get convicted or not. There's a lot of harm that comes from just being in the process. And what these folks are doing is they're making up, you know, they're, they're making up charges against Nakia to, to put her through all of that after they're the ones that broke the law and abused her. I mean, you see how offensive that is. 
and you see how much power we've given them. But, but if we're going to give them that power, then we also have to hold them accountable when they abuse the power. And I think that's where that's where we need to improve the system is that there has to be more accountability because if there's not, there's going to be just rampant abuses of power that are going to continue. Nikki, I wanted to ask you, um, so uh, what happened to your kids? You said that you were arrested, your father was arrested, your kids were left on the side of the road. How did that, uh, what, what ended up happening with them? I, I'm just curious. Oh, clarification. So, so I, when I came to after being knocked unconscious in the back of the car, they were radioing in that there's three J's in the back already kind of a little disillusional about what just happened. I'm like, you're talking about my children? You're talking about the three children. And I can see them escorting my dad out of the car into the other patrol car, right? So the children are in the car. Imagine the three children, six, four, and three in the car. They just woke up because we had smoothies. It was a good time. They were all doing the best that they could. They were sleeping. So now they're startled. It's dark. The doors are wide open and I can see there's just people coming around. So now they're in fear. They're in the car. They're not on, they're not on the side. They're still in the car. And they're asking the children to come out of the car after having my dad come. And I pray, God, please do not let them come out of the car. Because if they can do what happened to me, I don't see any, them not be doing anything like that and harming my children. So what happened well, they, at that time, right? My dad getting back in, there was time. The doors were still open. They were getting ready to take me. Oh, you wanted to add in, Yassine? Yeah, I, I, what I wanted to say is that, um, you know, there was a, a long period of time, almost an hour that the kids were left alone in the car. Um, after having witnessed all of this trauma with officers with guns drawn and all of that, what I would say is because we have, you know, pending litigation here, um, in terms of the effects on the kids, we'll kind of let the experts speak to that because this sort of trauma is... It, 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 from what I understand, it's very traumatic for children to have to go through something like this, uh, and it really rips their foundation. Um, and kind of, you know, I would say we can we can sort of leave it at that, and and let sort of the experts talk about that. And, and that's fine. I mean, that that really I think paints the picture of what these guys did. I mean, leaving three kids in the back of a car without their parents for an hour. Uh, my kids would have torn the car apart. Uh, so I, you know, so anyway, I'll, I'll or leave it torn their minds way. apart. Really, I mean, yeah. imagine how scared you'd be because you've got these, you've got these, all these strange people with guns, who, you know, for for these kids, that's what it is: strange people with guns, who just took their mom away and beat her up. You don't know where she is, and they just took a grandpa. And the kids are alone and they and, and, and they have to sit that through that while these officers are walking around with their guns everywhere, rummaging through the car. There's no reason to look through the car. No reason. Complete violation of privacy in the Fourth Amendment. No reason. And the rummaging through the car with the kids there 
scared, scared. Whose kids wouldn't be scared? You know, my, my kid, think, think about it. My three-year-old, somebody who's really friendly comes into the house, one of my friends who he doesn't know, and he, he comes into the house and he's talking to me. My kid runs behind me and hides behind my leg, okay? Because he's somebody that he hasn't seen and he's seeking shelter. Where was this kid's shelter? These kids' shelter was taken away from them. This was done by law enforcement officers who were there to serve and protect. Think about that for a second. Well, also, it just seems like, you know, even if even if you consider their actions legit with, with Nikia treating the kids like that doesn't seem like a, a reasonable approach. I mean, you would, you would want somebody there or, or, or to, to make sure that the kids are taken care of. And it seemed like they, they, that wasn't a consideration. Well, I mean, it's all illegitimate, right? That what they were doing in Nakia in front of her kids was also illegitimate to the kids. You often hear of cases of, you know, uh, domestic violence, and it's well received by the courts that when two adults physically engage in an altercation in front of a child, that's child abuse. That's abusing the child because it leaves the child very, very scared. So they didn't just do this to Nakia. They did it to the whole family. You, you talk about, you know, it, one of the um, one of the speakers that we had uh, with, with one of our support groups, he, he pointed out that um, it harkened him back to the time of slavery where, you know, the black women would be abused and, and their fathers and husbands would have to just sit and watch because otherwise everybody would be killed, right? And that, that happened here. That happened here because you're, he's a father and he's having to make this choice to sit there. He has to protect his grandkids. He has to stay there in the car so they don't shoot Nakia and him and harm the kids. And all the while, they're beating her up. He knows she's 5'2", 125 pounds. And these two are large officers, both the female and the male. And they both are on her beating her up. I mean, come on. The, 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 the lack of humanity here is just incredible. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're, we're just about out of time, um, but you have a civil suit. Uh, where does that stand? And has there been any indication by either the DA or the attorney general that they may uh, re-examine uh, the officer's conduct here? So the, the, the civil suit that we have is ongoing. It's in its uh, nascent stages. We're waiting to have uh, a conference with the judge so we can start discovery, formal discovery. Um, and in terms of a criminal case, you know, um, it's unfortunate that the, the, the sheriff in the face of just overwhelming evidence has sided with these deputies who, you know, showed lawlessness. Um, 
the DA has yet to respond to our uh, inquiries to see, you know, where if they're if they have a criminal investigation, where it is, because the DA has a responsibility to have this investigated and, and charge these officers. And um, we're also waiting for word um, from the attorney general's office as well. So, you know, we're we're knocking on the right doors to see what's happening. And, and you know, we'll see where these folks now the sheriff has declined to do his duty. So let's see what the district attorney does and, and the attorney general does. We're waiting to see what happens. So Nakia, any um, closing thoughts? Yes. Um, as I said, I speak for those, right, that have been systemically oppressed. And those that we talk about allyship, right? And no matter your position, whether it's small or low or high, if you see injustice, stand, have a backbone, stand up, speak up as if you were in that position. Try to place yourself there. The emotions of the families, my family, right? We're standing in solidarity with other families because we know what the impacts are right now. There are other impacts that we are not, we really don't have a clue to, but we're doing the best that we can to try to heal through this process. So if you're in a position where you are to be able to make the change and to be the change, you know there's changes that need to be made in this justice system, speak up for those families, speak up for those individuals as if it were your families that you love, that you support, that you have compassion for, because that's, we need that unity right now. We need that support to make sure that people know that we can't just treat each other this way. It's not okay. And if we can do that, we can then start to actually be the change that we wish to seek in this world. So I'll leave you with that. Be the change. Yasin, last thoughts? I guess um, just kind of bouncing off of what Nakia said, um, I, I'm a civil rights attorney right now. Um, I was, uh, I'm a former uh, federal prosecutor. And I can tell you that, you know, just seeing this sort of behavior is, is, is extremely offensive, extremely offensive that, that folks would abuse the power like that. And so what I would say is that, you know, I wanna reach out for any law enforcement officers that are watching, former, current, you take a look at it from not a perspective of, this is my team, that's your team, seems to be what the, the, the dialogue has become now. Take a look at it from the perspective of fairness, justice, this, the, the, the oath that, that folks in law enforcement are take, the oath they take to uphold the law. And then no matter who it is, even if it's one of your own guys, if, even if it's a law enforcement officer, hold them accountable to that. 
Because that's how we're going to get that just society. That's how we're going to build that trust back. Yes. If everybody plays by the rules the way that they're supposed to. So that would be my plea to them. Is it don't, you know, don't be on team officer or, you know, team civil rights. Be on team justice. You see something wrong, say it's wrong and do something about it. So I'll offer my last thought here, um, which is, and I don't mean to minimize this, but the, these officers messed with the wrong person, the wrong woman. Um, I'm, when I first heard Nakia speak uh, a few months ago, um, you know, it blew me away how passionate and articulate and bright that she is. Um, and I can see that, um, you know, she's a fighter and, and this has helped to uh, find her voice. Um, and so, you know, you, you have a very powerful story now. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people in your position don't have the opportunity to speak out. And so that gives you the responsibility to keep speaking and, and, and keep, uh, you know, bearing witness to what happened to you because it didn't just happen to you. It didn't just happen to your family. It, it, it happens way, way too often. So thank you guys for, for coming on and, and sharing your, your story and sharing your passion. Um, this has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening, Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.